How to turn climate anxiety into action? Now, there's a question that we'd all like answers to at this point in time. It's actually the title of a recent TED Talk, which was given by the climate psychologist Dr. René Lertzman, who believes that the key to positive climate action is to first understand human behaviour at a deep level. But that takes time, and when it comes to the climate and biodiversity emergency, we don't have any. Um, So is there a way that we can fast-track this process? And can we do it, as Renee's hoping, without having to scream and shout from the rooftops? I'm Verity Sharp. Welcome to another Climate Crisis Conversation. Do look up Renee's TED Talk. Um, And for this edition of the podcast, the Climate Psychology Alliance's Caroline Hickman digs a little bit into Renee's personal motivations for approaching her subject in the way she does, even has a go at uh, giving her licence to get a bit more angry, even to use the F word. But first, Renee said that it felt intense to be giving a TED Talk on this particular subject at this moment in time. So Caroline asked her to expand on exactly what she meant by this moment. This moment, broadly speaking, is a collective awakening or waking up or a sort of um, coming to terms with moment. And yes, of course, many, many people have been in this, in that place for for years now. Mm -hmm. You know, keep in mind, I took my first environmental studies course in the late 1980s. Okay, so this Mm -hmm. is not new. Mm. But what is new is this, this global awareness that's happening and I think of that as a waking up Mm. and it reminds me of what happens you know say you've had an incident uh, that lands you in hospital and you know you've you've been unconscious and you wake up and someone basically informs you this is what's happened and you're able to cognitively process the information, but yet you're immobilized. And um, when we're when that capacity to process it cognitively and our actual kind of physical capacity to then, you know, act on that is not fully in sync necessarily. Right. And so, you know, that's where I think we are now, a majority of people. Mm. And then, you know, what comes after that is is the um, learning to, let's say, walk in a different way or learning how to use your body in a different way, learning how to speak again, learning how to, you know, whatever that is that's been impaired. Um, I think that's where we are right now. And it's a very uh, messy and complicated place to be Mm -hmm. at this moment. So there's that. And then I'm seeing a lot of... um, kind of swirling narratives Mm -hmm. and what I call the narrative wars, the climate narrative wars. Right. So you've got largely um, men, um, no offense to men whatsoever, but you do have, at least where I'm coming from in the States, largely um, men of privilege who uh, have their narrative, their take. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying that just the act of, okay, we, sh- we should be thinking about it this way. We should be thinking about it this way. It's about, you know, whether it's about the hope and despair or the deep, deep adaptation or the whatever that is, 
it feels like this swirl and I feel that we are potentially wasting a lot of time, you know, trying to figure out how we should be feeling and thinking about it. And it sort of siphons energy away from simply how am I feeling and thinking about this? Um, Why do you think that's happening? Because we're trying to figure out how to relate to what what's happening. And we're sort of looking to frame ways of framing and ways of relating, ways of coping. But do you think it's possibly a way of trying to explain and a way of therefore find a solution if we can find the right explanation find the right model mm-hmm. find the right argument yes then it would lead to a solution yes that's where that's where it's coming from so so therefore it's a reaction against anxiety and uncertainty yeah exactly and therefore it's coming out of people's vulnerability yes It'd be so much easier if people would just say that though exactly than argue exactly because all the all that energy and attention is going into you know, I mean, I'm asked, maybe this happens with you, I'm asked every week, should we be feeling hopeful? Yeah. Should we be feeling despair? Well, why are we even thinking about it in those terms of mm. either hope or despair or optimism mm. and pessimism? And, mm. you know, that's mm. a completely false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean there isn't a big difference between feeling paralyzed and overwhelmed and feeling hopeful, but... Psychologically speaking, that's a, it's just a false construction to mm. think that we should be any one thing. Mm. That it's actually far more complex than that. And the more we name and acknowledge that, I think the more resilient we are, the stronger we are, the more thoughtful we can be, mm. reflective and intentional mm. about how we actually are engaging. So I get kind of tired of the ongoing debates that and I also get tired of a small number of highly influential voices um, shaping the conversation for us. It's a very limited perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're seeing this shifting a bit. You know, we're seeing more, you know, women and people of color and people from vulnerable communities being part of this, but not at the scale and level that it needs to be right now. Right. Do you think the young people's voices perhaps are also helping to shift that narrative? Because as you know, a lot of my work's with young people and children. Mm -hmm. And I think they speak in a very different way. They do. About this. Yeah. Than some of the sort of famous thinkers. Right. That's that's entirely correct. And my sense is that there's just not a lot of patience or tolerance for endless argument and debate. It's just like... Exactly. You know. There's none. I mean, you know, there's deep frustration with it. Yeah. Uh, because whilst adults, in inverted commas, continue to debate these things, there's a failure to act mm-hmm. and a failure to find solutions that are meaningful mm-hmm. for the majority. Right. Do you think there's something about sitting around talking about it, which is actually a form of denial? Well, you know, one of the arguments about this approach or that approach Mm -hmm. is actually a more sort of subtle, complex form of denial. I think so. And I I can be part of that too. Mm -hmm. Say more. Well, I spend my days thinking and talking about (laughs) about how we 
process and relate to the crisis. That's part of mm. my coping mechanism as well. So by, by doing the work you're doing, it's your, partly your way of coping with it. It is, right. for sure. However, yeah. the reason I left academia and became a full-time practitioner is precisely because I didn't want to be uh, endlessly thinking and talking and writing without actually translating this into some sort of practice. Right. You know, so for me, it's it's it, it's essential that I'm able to bridge and apply and and do that kind of translation work continuously. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your question about, you know, is all the debating kind of a distraction or a form of denial? I would say yes, and mm-hmm. yeah. you know, because we absolutely need to be having conversations and to be reflecting and to be having these discussions. You know, I say over and over again that having conversations is the driving force for any kind of change. That conversation is the most powerful um, lever for what we quote behavior change. It really comes out of human interaction and conversations in all kinds of ways. So I'm not at all saying we shouldn't be having these discussions, I'm saying that, you know, going on and on and on about how should we be feeling? <laughs> right. As opposed to what are we feeling? Yeah. What do we do with that? Yeah. And then what? What comes next? Yeah. Yeah. I like Does that. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I really like that because, you know, there's been a, quite a big thing recently um, here in the UK about children's anxiety and that their anxiety is being created by the youth climate strikers and Greta Thunberg, mm-hmm. which is a complete avoidance of the fact that young people are already scared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not causative. So right, they're not, right. They're not being frightened by Greta Thunberg mm-hmm. and the youth climate strikers. You know, they're speaking about fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. But people can feel so intolerant of young people's anxiety and alarm mm-hmm. and feelings, mm-hmm. generally, that they're sort of somehow contorting it to say, well, if we stop the children talking about it and we stop talking to them, mm-hmm. then their anxiety will go away. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most perverse, convoluted arguments I've ever heard. Right. It's, it's, a, it's, wish for, it's a wish fulfillment fantasy. Right. Yeah. But it, it's deeply naive, isn't mm-hmm. it? Very. So it's coming from a place of... Well, wishful I mean, I, thinking. I, wishful thinking, yes, but I think it also comes from adult terror. That's mm-hmm. just not processed. Right. What do you think? I completely agree. Do you? Yeah. And the ability to name and talk about this is the only way forward, I think. Yeah. And so what yeah. we're needing are more adults coming forward and communicating in ways that are far more um, nuanced and vulnerable. Yeah. So that we're able to give each other permission to actually really just go through this without going into the reactivity and the defenses and, you know, the deflection. Yeah. And that takes courage and it takes a different kind of... But it's a different kind of courage, isn't it? So, you know, it's the kind of courage that you need to be able to face the parts of yourself that you are most ashamed of Mm -hmm. and vulnerable to... And, you know, would really rather people didn't have to see. Right. And hear about. Yes. Yeah. 
So that's why we need people doing it to model that. Right. Um, and we need to feel supported in doing that. You know, there has to be the the relate the the support there. But you know what I'm going to ask you next now, don't you? Right? No. Yeah. <laughs> so so tell us about your vulnerability. Oh. <laughs> um, my vulnerability. Well, I'll start with the TED Talk. Yeah. How about that? I'll be very vulnerable. Yeah. Go. Um, when I see the talk now, mm. I am uncomfortable mm. with how intense I am with it. How fully I was feeling what I was speaking about mm. in such a way that I wasn't thinking about delivery or all the stuff around performance. And, you know, I was just really focused on delivering this message as directly as I could. Mm. And what really surprises me is there's, there's a, a quality there that I wasn't aware of consciously, which is there's a lot of anger. Mm. Like I can feel there's a forcefulness and mm. how I'm speaking that when I see it is, is kind of um, surprising mm. because I don't go around feeling angry. I don't, you know, I'm not really that kind of personality, um, but there it was. Mm. And so, um, so clearly I'm wrestling with my own journey of how to be, how to handle my own intense feelings mm -hmm. when the stakes are so high at this moment where I feel that there's a lot of uh, naive and flawed thinking about the climate crisis. You know, like I'm, I'm in the trenches. I work with organizations. I work with organizations around the world across every sector, mm -hmm. pretty much. Mm -hmm. And so I hear how at the very highest levels, or at the community level, whatever level, I hear how people are um, wrestling with these issues, and I hear the ways of you know the the ways of thinking, the schools of thought that have influenced our understanding and our uh, assumptions about how we're going to solve this. Right. So I don't want this to sound critical because I I think we're in this evolution, right, where we're mm -hmm. we're all kind of figuring it out. It's pretty early days. I, I you think know. I'm going to encourage you to sound a little bit critical for a minute. Okay. And then we can get beyond it. But okay. why not be critical? Well, because maybe my message is about being compassionate. Well, yeah, but maybe... Like you having can... compassion for the, the difficulty, right? So mm. it feels... You know, I don't want to come out and say, oh, we're thinking about this all wrong. But I think we kind of are. Well, right. But I understand why we are. That's the thing. Because I'm not wanting anyone, If as soon as I trigger defenses mm. of my colleagues, mm. then it's very hard to come back from that. Mm. So it's very important for me to frame this as I understand why it's this way, because that's true for me. I really do. I sort of like, I, I'm sort of watching from the sideline and saying, wow, like, you know, we're we're figuring it out. It's happening. It's kind of happening slowly. Mm. But, you know, it makes sense. You know, I have this... Um, I ended up uh, 
teaching a course. So just to backtrack a little bit, I left academia in 2011. Right at that time, very serendipitously, I was invited to design and teach a graduate course uh, in Canada for environmental professionals mm -hmm. that met every summer for three weeks. Mm -hmm. So it was an intensive. And that went on for several years and it became a lab for me to test things out and to, you know, um, really look at how, how does one teach the psychology of environmental communication and education, which is what I was doing with 25 professionals every summer. And from that work, I started to appreciate just the, the landscape of thinking that's out there. I started to appreciate that you've got the behavioralists over here and you've got the kind of messaging and framing people over here mm. and you've got the systems and design thinkers over here mm. and then you've got the psychologists over here. Mm -hmm. You know, there's psychologists across all of those, but you know, the clinical kind of uh, people who are very tuned into identity, relationship, emotion, all of that. Right. And I started to see that these were these camps. Mm -hmm. And not only were there these camps, but there were sort of these little feuds going on across them. So you've got the usual suspects mm -hmm. who are championing all about framing the message. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the champions who are, you know, focusing on nothing's going to happen unless we apply behavioral economics to this crisis. Right. And then you've got the policy and you've got the, you know, and, and so from that experience, I then was able to create a, a map that I call quadrant mm. and the quadrant literally is a, it is this map of the, those four main kind of areas. And so I'm able to kind of look at it from a distance and say, okay, there's a bit of an evolution here. You know, this field actually came out in the 1980s. Climate psychology was really born, mm. you know, in 1981, mm. 82, that came right out of risk mm. psychology. And, you know, it, there was work commissioned by the Department of Energy in the States. And so, you know, if you just look at the lineage of thinking over the years, you can start to see that there's a bit of a journey there. So that helps me make sense of what's happening. And at the same time, I'm trained as an academic. You know, yeah. I've, I have a lot of graduate training, you know, sure. a master's and a yeah. PhD and all this. And so yeah. you're trained to be critical. Yeah. And so I have that critical lens. Yeah. But my hope is it's a compassionate critique. Mm -hmm. And so all of that said, that long kind of mm -hmm. roundabout, um, I do feel that I wish that I could just, I guess my TED talk is an attempt at an intervention. Mm -hmm. An intervention. It's an intervention in our ways of thinking about this. Okay. And I think that's the force behind the talk and the delivery is just like, boom. You know, it's like the sword yeah. coming down. The sword of discernment okay. in the Buddhist world yeah. where it's like, I'm going to cut through this right now yeah. and I'm going to cut these myths and these assumptions that we're all going around with that are not helping us right now. Right. You know, I'm going to just, and so. And that's where the anger comes yeah, in. Yeah, definitely. But it maybe it's, it's not anger is, I mean, it's kind of anger, but it's more that like, boom, you know, I'm going to just like, I want to cut through this 
which is how I honestly feel. Yeah. A lot. You know, I feel like, okay. What let's, drives you to want to cut through this? Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, I get this. What's driving you to want to cut through this? What's it's, your drive? Well, it's it's the drive to to um, support uh, capacity. Okay. So my view, for whatever reason, since I've been very young, mm-hmm. is my view is that you've got this kind of treasure trove mm-hmm. of profound, hard-won insight mm-hmm. and wisdom and expertise. Mm-hmm. And that treasure trove is psychoanalysis, it's psychotherapy, it's, um, it's wisdom practices, there's spiritual practice in there, there's, you know, but it's, 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 uh, it's all kind of related to the same thing, which is healing and reparation and, you know, what's, what, what supports the uh, optimal conditions that allow us as human beings to be our most creative, sure. imaginative, capable selves Mm -hmm. so there's this treasure trove and you know what gets me is like why are we not using it we need to get into it why do you think we're not well i think that we're not used to um thinking about that kind of work as applied Mm -hmm. outside of um the consulting room or the clinical room okay right yeah. And that is threatening. You know, it's, it makes people uncomfortable because it's about emotion. It's about feeling. When you say people, do you mean practitioners? I mean, yeah, I mean... Um, anyone. I mean anyone, but in my mind, when I said that, I was thinking more about people working in the field of climate environment. Okay. Who are like, come on, you know, uh, grab those tools, use them. What well, do they want? Something that will help fix the problem. They do, and I'm and I'm trying to shine a light on this tremendous trove. Sure, but it takes. It's not easy to translate. Well, no, because it requires because it's not an external fix, is it? It requires internal change. Right. Right. I talk to people a little bit at the moment about the importance of internal activism as well as external activism. Yeah, right. Right? Mm-hmm. And that you can you can go and be an external activist, but you've also got to, you know, pay attention to the parts of yourself that perhaps maybe need some activist attention. Right. Internally, emotionally, right. reflexively, mm-hmm. compassionately. Right. Well, and I do, I do say that in my TED Talk. Yeah. There's a moment in the talk which was completely unplanned, mm-hmm. uh, which where, where I said, I'm sorry, there's no way around it. Mm-hmm. It has to be from the inside out. Yeah. We yeah. have to look at how we are feeling, yeah. what our attitudes are yeah. towards those that we're seeking to engage, to influence, to change. Yeah. Yeah. And you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How do you support yourself to do that work? Um, what helped you get? How do you do that? Well, um, I've had many years of therapy. Sure. Which have provided me, I think, a, a, a foundation of sorts mm-hmm. to be comfortable with the introspection mm-hmm. and the extrospection kind of sure. thing. Yeah. So I'm very, very comfortable mm-hmm. with that. 
you know, I, I have people in my life who I, I feel safe with mm -hmm. and um, a sense of um, support and connection. Yeah. And then there's my relationship with nature mm -hmm. and with the, you know, the natural world. And, and then there's my, um, I mean, to be honest, I, I'm really at heart, I'm an intellectual. Okay. So being in London, mm -hmm. going to my favorite bookshops, um, that's what really supports me as well. Mm -hmm. and allows me to feel resourced. Okay. Yeah. So it's almost like you're feeding your soul that way. Yes. Yeah. I feel exactly like that when I'm here. Right. Um, so you're not suggesting a particular way of uh, engaging with this, but you are saying that you are also doing that personal work. You're also engaged personally, emotionally with mm -hmm. this as much as you are intellectually. Right. And I don't prescribe to anyone what really they should be doing. No. Other than the closest I get is where mm -hmm. I, I just speak very generally about being attuned. How are you attuning? Mm -hmm. Can you tell, talk a bit about how you use that and your understanding of attunement in relation to the climate emergency? Well, it's it's the ways I, I speak of in the talk. There's yeah. three ways. Yeah. You know, there's self-attunement. Mm -hmm. So just um, having a practice of of being as much as I can really showing up for myself. Yeah. And so I, I look to resources to support me. So mm -hmm. there's, you know, whether it's Buddhist practice mm -hmm. with uh, the whole idea of, um, you know, uh, Tara Brock's work, Radical Acceptance, mm -hmm. Self-Compassion. Sarah Payton, who is a psychotherapist in the States who does amazing work with um, self-regulation. Okay. You know, how do we regulate our nervous system yeah. around trauma? Um, so I look to practices constantly to inform my own capacity to uh, be attuned with myself. Yeah. And then there's... Um, the attunement with others and that's very hard mm. you know it's very hard for most of us who don't work day in and day out with people in a clinical setting yeah um, so for me it's a practice of you know profound empathy and attunement with my clients and with the people that they are trying to reach mm. And um, with people who I look around and just think, you know, why are so many people just kind of checked out and numb and mm. not, not doing anything, really? Mm. So it's applying that attunement to others. And then there's the third is really attuning with the earth mm. and keeping in mind every single day that that's what it's about for me mm. and that um, I'm an earthling mm. and... As an earthling, I am part of this world. I'm connected with this ground. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's in, it, it's, I'm inseparable from, from that basic foundation. Um, and as an earthling, you know, I feel we all have... Uh, it's our birthright to actually really be connected and to really... Um, experience ourselves as 
part of this, you know, the life that is here. It sounds like you've realized that for some time, that that's something that's been important to you. Mm-hmm. For, since I was very young. Yeah. When did you realize this? Well, on a conscious level, I realized it when I was 18. Okay. And went to to uni. Yeah. And um, was happened to be at a place that was mind-blowingly beautiful, just in terms of the the natural mm. um, landscape mm. in California. Okay. And so at that point I had, you know, I wasn't taking drugs. So that was my drug, okay. you know, was yeah. spending all this time very uh, intimately mm. in nature, meaning, meaning barefoot in the woods, mm. you know, going into the water, like communing mm-hmm. with nature in a very big way. It sounds like you fell in love. It, it's very true. I totally fell in love. Yeah. You know, the redwoods and the, the water and the sensuality of it. Um, I was so uh, inspired and energized by it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's what happened. And so that happened right at the same time that I was taking psychology courses right. and I was happened to take environmental studies, mm. you know, along with all the other courses that you take mm-hmm. as a liberal arts student. Mm-hmm. So the, somehow that all just came together mm. and my first year of college, I knew that I wanted to do environmental psychology, that that was my path, mm. that that's what I was here to do. Right. You know, it was totally clear to me. Yeah. And, um, and then it's sort of like, okay, how do I go about doing that and mm. making that happen? Because at the time it didn't really exist. Mm. So I had to piece it together on my own and just basically do self-guided study from that point on, mm-hmm. you know, just like fitting it together. Mm. Mm. Maybe that helps make sense of your intensity now. Mm-hmm. When, you know, we talked about this earlier, didn't we? Um, it's really hard when it's so urgent. So yeah. you're talking about a time when you fell in love, when mm-hmm. you found your path, which was years ago. And now you've watched the environmental degradation continue. You've watched people fail to act. You've watched you know apathy you've watched rainforest burn it's pretty devastating is that why it's so hard mm. now mm-hmm. yeah it's why i feel that energy that was in the ted talk yeah which is i don't know if you notice it's very subtle in the talk mm. where i said wake up oh you said wake up yeah and yeah. i and i paused yeah because you know, I wanted to say something else. Oh, what did you want to say? Go on. <laughs> Wake the F up. <laughs> ah, go on, say it. And people, say it. people can hear that. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> say it. Wake the fuck up. Yes, she said it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the anger and intensity, isn't it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You see, I think that, that can be very powerful and very... Um, not negative. Right. Right. I just, it's a very interesting edge for me. Mm. 
you know, it's this whole thing of like no one, the whole concept of like the angry woman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my it, fear is that it, I'm going to be seen as, as angry and strident and. Oh, so that was part, that's part of your fear behind it, that people yeah. will just write you off as this angry woman and then stop listening to yeah. what you're saying and stop respecting you. Right. Right. Because right. I'm normally, I, there's an, I'm an intense person for sure, yeah. but I'm not, I'm, I'm very thoughtful about, you know, where I am and who I'm with and. Yeah. And but do you not and, think there's good reason to be angry right now? I mean, well, I, want, I want to, you know, legitimize your anger. I want to authenticate your anger. Uh-huh. I want you to give you permission to be fucking furious mm-hmm. about what's going on out there. Right. Do you not think we should be? Well, no, I think we should be. Yeah. And I'm, I'm mindful of skillful means. Skillful means. You know, the Buddhist concept of what's going to actually get you where you want to be and need to be. Yeah. And so I'm not saying anger is bad or wrong. Sure. Um, but I, I'm a communi- so So basically I'm a communicator, mm. right? That's kind of, that's what my work is about. Sure. And so I'm wrestling just like with the rest of us. Yeah. How to be a skillful communicator when the, sk- the stakes are so high. And that's why I'm so inspired by the work coming out of the public health sector um, you know, the field of motivational interviewing, mm. which Roe Randall introduced me to. Right. Yeah. You know, she picked up on the motivational interviewing as a profound resource mm. for her design of carbon conversations. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I feel like I sort of picked that up and ran with it mm-hmm. and, and have since gone through quite a bit of training. And where I'm sitting in a room of clinicians who are on the front lines of really intense public health, mental health, you know, mm-hmm. issues, addiction, and mm-hmm. I mean, you name it, mm-hmm. homelessness, and you know, yeah. criminality, and and going through that, and really learning about how to be a skillful guide, mm-hmm. where. You know, you you sort of have to unlearn everything you think, you know, you should be doing, which is to hit people over the head and say, are you crazy? Are you insane? You know, and they would have us go through these exercises where mm. people just say the most outrageous things to you, mm. like a pregnant woman who says, oh, it's okay if I just have some drinks, it's not a big deal. Mm. And as a trained MI practitioner, mm. you know, you don't necessarily say, are you fucking crazy? Mm. You, you're like, okay. So it sounds like from your point of view, it's okay to have some drinks, you know, mm-hmm. um, have you, tell me more, you know, like, have you ever, do you, are you, you know, to try to kind of gauge where are they coming from? What do they know? What do they not know? And then move into, you know, well, would you be open to, to um, considering that that actually might be quite dangerous. Mm. You know, so it's a whole different way of working with people. No, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I think it's uh, a challenge to continue to apply that to the climate and biodiversity emergency when feelings can run so high sometimes. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's also some of the intensity that comes 
mm-hmm. across and back mm-hmm. to this idea that you said it's hard when it's so urgent because mm-hmm. we don't have all the time in the world. Right. But from an MI perspective, we don't have time not to take the time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It takes a little bit more time Yeah. to have uh, some sort of dialogue or conversation versus screaming at people. Mm-hmm. A little bit more time. Mm. Right? Mm. Do you do, buy that? Do I? <laughs> um, sometimes. Sometimes. I'm not saying there's no I, time and place. Yeah. Right? I, I, I like motivational interviewing, but um, I, I don't know. Recently, I've also started to think that there is also a really important place of just, you know, expressing... Mm-hmm pain in other ways mm-hmm. to engage people mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. emotionally mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I mean I personally psychologically think we ought to use anything and everything that mm-hmm. works um, mm-hmm. but I think the urgency makes it very complex for us right? because it's not a, a completely intellectual exercise you know we're dealing with the fact that people are dying right uh, we're dealing with the fact that billions of animals are dying right um, it it can be very hard, certainly for me, to feel very contained and measured and reasonable. Right. When I see that level of distress and that anguish and right. despair. Right. Um, so it becomes completely... And I'm, I, I'm not saying that you're being over-intellectual, mm-hmm. but I sort of lose mm-hmm. any intellectual capacity sometimes. Right. And I think that's okay for me to lose it, and then I, you know... Because actually, I think it's okay to be lost in this a bit because right. we're all a bit lost. Yes. We're all a bit confused. Right. What's your final thoughts about, you know, how to support others with what you've learned? Because you've learned mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. You've immersed yourself mm-hmm. in this. What's your final sort of advice or support for others? Mm. Well being kind and compassionate towards ourselves Mm. and really appreciating that these are um, just phenomenally, um, almost at the unthinkable level, existential um, issues we're talking about. What we're going through is... Yeah. And, you know, as someone who really has studied the psychology of environmental threats for as long as I have... Um, I'm absolutely convinced that we are talking about a whole new way of thinking and being as humans that we're now called on to uh, grow into and to evolve into. Mm-hmm. And that includes mm. how we how we come to terms with our transgressions. Mm. So what does it mean as humans to, you know, effectively face our wrongdoing yeah. without falling mm-hmm. into a a shame and guilt spiral. Yeah. And so I'm very inspired by any kind of work around reparation and mm. what that looks like and practice. Um, mm. So I think it's very important that we all keep that context in mind and remind ourselves when we are feeling pain and mm. overwhelmed, just to remind ourselves of, you know, there's this bigger picture that we're in and that mm. collectively we're all wrestling with this. Mm. And then, and, and to be, find the courage to be honest and open and vulnerable whenever possible when it is safe to do so. You know, mm. to not put ourselves in in harm's way by 
being vulnerable with the wrong people in the wrong setting. Yeah. You know, I think Mm. it's very, very important that we develop this ability to kind of sense, is this safe? Is this okay? Mm. Am I going to trigger other people's anxieties and they may turn Mm. on me uh, because they can't really handle it? Mm. Um, So finding your people or your Mm. kin, but then exploring platforms where we can step out Mm. and, and actually show leadership. You know, so it's really reframing what it means to be a leader today. Mm-hmm. You know, and what it means to be a leader, I think, is what it means to be a, f- a whole human being with all the messy and complicated feelings that come with that. Mm-hmm. And the willingness and ability to, to come out and say, I don't have all the answers and I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, which is what I've just recently heard CEO of an energy company say. Right. We're doing our best. We don't have all the answers. That that's leadership yeah you know it gives us all permission to be human Mm. which then gives us permission to be our most creative effective selves Mm. um and then Mm. you know i think the third part of this is um partnering and collaborating and working with psychologically trained oriented Mm. people wherever you are in the world and and seeing this as an as an innovative um, opportunity that there's no path, there's no prescription that we're actually creating it and inventing it right now. And to think of this in the context of kind of creative collaboration and that new things can come out of that. Like when I partner with a brand agency, new things come Mm. when I partner with a clinical psychologist, when I partner with someone in government, Mm. it, it's very, very exciting. It's very creative. Um, when there's that openness and humility to learn and grow mm. together. And, and, you know, and just I started talking about compassion and kindness towards ourselves, and it comes back to uh, keeping in mind that we need our own oxygen mask on or we're not really any good to anyone. Right. So what is your oxygen mask? Mm. What gives you, mm. what oxygenates your soul and your being so that you can actually be viable in the world today. Renee, this has been great. Good talking to you. Thank you. Thank Lovely you. speaking with you too. Caroline Hickman talking to Dr. Renee Lertzman. Climate Crisis Conversations is a podcast series produced by the Climate Psychology Alliance in association with Parity Audio. Join us again soon for more.